Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our risen and living Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The word of God which we hear this morning is from the first letter of Peter, chapter 3, verses 13 to 21. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and with fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. So far the word of the Lord. Sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart and always be ready to give a defense to everyone for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and with fear. In our reading from Acts, we heard that rather famous account of Paul speaking to the Athenians in the Areopagus, which is also sometimes called Mars Hill. That sermon is very famous, famous because it is a very uh, powerful sermon. And in fact, there was a, a pretty famous church in Seattle, I'm pretty sure it was in Seattle, that named itself after this incident. It was called Mars Hill Church. That church, uh, I'm assuming, named itself after this incident because they wanted to be, just like Paul, reaching out to those who hadn't heard about Jesus, reaching out to, to the Gentiles, uh, like Paul did in Athens, and doing so with power. Many churches, including that one, have analyzed Paul's sermon here. Why is it so powerful? How can we imitate it? Paul's sermon is very powerful, but the secret is no secret really at all. Peter tells us exactly what Paul was doing in our text this morning, especially in verse 15 that we're going to be looking at closely. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And always be ready to share that hope with everyone who asks of you. Paul was simply sharing that which he also received. He was simply sharing that which was precious to him. And because it was precious to him, that energy, that fervency, that joy came across. Many of the Athenians didn't listen, but, but some, by the power of God, did. 
It's true that Paul cleverly makes use of this altar that he had seen to the unknown God as a way to introduce this sermon, but when you stop and look at the message itself, you see that it's really no different from any of Paul's other sermons that are recorded to us in Acts, or even from Peter's sermons, like the one that Peter gave on Pentecost. It is a simple presentation of the gospel. God made the heavens and the earth. He sent his son to become one of us, to die for sinful mankind, and he raised him from the dead as proof of who he was and that our sins were forgiven. From a human standpoint, what made Paul's presentation so powerful was simply that it was something precious to him. He shared the hope that burned in his heart. He came to sinners as a sinner and said, Look, I was a sinner like one of you, but here is the message of Jesus Christ that can redeem you from that sin and wash you in his blood and make you a child of God. We saw this same thing when we looked at John chapter 9. Remember the story of the man who was born blind and who gave that powerful witness to the Pharisees and all the people of the city of who Jesus was. And again, his witness was so powerful because it was that simple statement of what Jesus had done for him. I was blind, and now I see, he says to the Pharisees. And all of their clever arguments couldn't deny the power of what Christ had done in the man's life. Nor could they tap down the, the joy that man felt over what Jesus had done for him. Paul similarly was sharing that joy. Paul knew himself to be a sinner, rescued and redeemed by Christ. This was a precious thing to him, and he wanted to share what was precious to him with others, with the people in Athens. Peter also <coughs> shares his same joy. If we look back to the first chapter of, of this first epistle of Peter that we, that we read just now, Look back to chapter 1, verse 3. Peter reminds us, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter also recognizes how precious Jesus is. And that's what he's talking about in our text when he says that we ought to sanctify Christ in our hearts. The kids and I earlier this week <clears throat> were talking about the fact that God's word is, for most of us, not something that is new anymore. Most of us have known God's word, have received it, has, have heard it from, from the time that we were little kids. So it's not something new anymore. And it sometimes lacks that excitement of things that are new, the ex excitement of opening presents on Christmas morning, the excitement of getting your driver's license from the first time and realizing you can drive all the way to the Grand Canyon if you want, well, if you have a lot of money to pay for gas, I suppose. Uh, that excitement of, of getting a new car. God's Word often lacks that excitement of something new, but old things are often something better. Old things, while they maybe not be, might not have that excitement, 
are often precious. God's word might not have that same excitement, but it is still very precious to us. Remember how Jesus compared the kingdom of God to a treasure buried in the field. Again, it wasn't something new. If it was buried in a field, presumably it had been there for a long time. It was something old, but something precious. He compares it to a woman who lost a penny and how she rejoiced when she found that penny, not because the penny was new and shiny and exciting, but because it was something precious to her and she found it again. Sanctify the Lord in your hearts. What does this mean? It means that we should ponder God's word in our hearts. We should ponder the wonderful things going over them in our hearts, in our minds, with talking about them with one another until we recognize how, how precious they are to us. When Vanessa and I were in India, we once uh, went up uh, uh, and we went to a, a carpet salesman, like rugs, not like old carpets like this, but just rugs that you place on a spot in your house. And uh, Some of these rugs, this was a, a very, very expensive rugs. I think some of them were upwards of $10,000 or maybe even more. We did not buy one. Um, <laughs> these, were, these were quite expensive rugs, and the, the salesman there was explaining to us that sometimes people, they buy these rugs. He was still hopeful that we were going to buy one. We hadn't told him that. We did not have that kind of money yet. But he told us how some people, they buy these rugs, and then they, they put them on their walls because they're so expensive. They want to, to keep them nice. But he said how that's actually a mistake because somehow these rugs were colored with minerals, and because they use minerals to color them, uh, when you walk on them, it polishes the rugs and make the, makes the color shine. So he was telling us how you, you actually want the rugs on the floor. You want to, to walk on them to keep that color bright. That's what Peter is talking about in our text this morning when he says, sanctify the Lord God. Go over it again and again. Talk about it again and again until it becomes something precious. Until the glory of what God has done for us shines through your life. And when the wonderful works of God are precious to us, we'll very naturally share that joy, just like Paul did in Athens. Our text tells us, therefore, what it is that we should ponder, what it is that we should share. But Peter goes on to explain also what attitude we should have as we are sharing that joy, those precious moments of God with each other, that we should do it with meekness, and with fear. Once again, we can go back to Paul's example at Mars Hill, at the Areopagus there. Paul very naturally shared the joy that he felt in what God, what Christ had done for him, but he also very naturally shared it with meekness because he knew himself to be the chief of sinners. He records that in his epistles. And that wasn't something that Paul just said. It wasn't something he just recited when he came to church Sunday morning. That was a truth that Paul knew and felt in his heart. He honestly believed himself to be the worst of sinners, knowing how he had previously murdered Christians. And so he very naturally shared that message, that joy in meekness. He didn't go into Athens with the attitude of, I'm better than you, and I'm right and you're wrong, and here's why. 
He went to the people of Athens with this attitude of, yeah, I'm a sinner. I'm a worse sinner than you guys. But here's something that can help. Here's the solution to your sin and to mine. Here's something I want to share with you. His goal was to offer to others the same thing that he himself had received. He reminds us in 1 Corinthians 15, I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he arose again on the third day. He comes with that meekness. Not of, I'm right, you're wrong, but of, look at the preciousness of what Jesus did for me and for you. We have that famous uh, verse uh, from Paul's epistles, speaking the truth in love. What did Paul mean when he said speaking the truth? He didn't mean speaking my truth. He didn't mean uh, going around and making sure everybody knows why my way of cooking is better than your way of cooking or why, why my politics are better than, than your politics. When Paul talks about speaking the truth, he's talking about the truth, capital T, capital T, the truth of Jesus Christ and what he has done for me, the truth of how Jesus came and died for us. Paul wants us to encourage one another with the truth of God and what he has done for us rather than to spend our time trying to prove that we are right. And sharing that truth means beginning with that, that attitude of, I also am a sinner. Some of us, maybe even many of us in this church, in this synod, in the community, whatever, we have a, a problem with talking, don't we? And the problem we have with talking is that we, we seem to think that the purpose of talking is to prove I'm right or to make sure I get my way. Paul encourages us to understand that the purpose of talking is not to prove that I'm right, but to share what God has done for us, as Paul did, as the blind man did. Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. To come with that, that meekness, not with that pride. In Bible class a couple weeks ago, we were studying an, <clears throat> an article that was talking about communication. And this article pointed out that the, the, the golden ratio, the best ratio, was at least 5 to 1. At least 5 to positive things, five good things, five complementary things to every one negative or critical thing that we speak to each other. And that doesn't mean that you quickly think of five good things to say just so you can say the one negative thing that you really want to say. That's disingenuous, right? It means that <coughs> you think back, have I said five encouraging things, five positive things recently? If not, maybe I should think twice about saying anything negative. It includes what we say about each other behind their backs as well. Not just, not just to their faces. So what do we learn from this? We learn that we're just like Saul, don't we? Remember Saul, who was so certain that he was right, 
that he used that to justify persecuting and murdering Christians? Well, none of us have murdered anyone, hopefully. But we do often use that same attitude that, well, I'm right, as an excuse to be angry and to speak down to one another instead of speaking in that love of God. But if we're just like Saul in that we sin often every day, then we are also just like Paul and that we are redeemed by Christ, restored, forgiven, and living in, learning to hold that forgiveness of Christ as something precious for ourselves. Look at what Jesus has done for me, despite all the negative and bad things I've said about other people. Uh, look at what Jesus has done for me. Holding that as precious, we want to share that preciousness of God's forgiveness with each other. The other day, Laura and Millie Baggett brought this little bunny rabbit to school. They were showing it around to everybody. They found it, and it was so cute, so precious to them. They wanted to, to share it with everybody. We, the kids at school really appreciated that. The teachers did too. That's what, Paul, that's what Peter is talking about in our text. That we learn to hold Christ in his word. Christ isn't a little bunny, but we should hold his word and the things he has done for us as something precious. And when we recognize how precious it is, we will very naturally share that with others, all that he has done for us. Amen. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.